0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at HopeHullUMC.org slash sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. One of the aspects of the book of Acts that helps us really see how the early church began to grow and develop comes in aspects where the early church is suffering. Acts written by Luke doesn't whitewash the situation for us, does he? He doesn't kind of smooth over the rough edges. We might be tempted to think so up until this point. After all, the first few chapters, you've got Jesus ascending in the clouds to the throne of heaven to oversee the mission of his church across the world. You've got Peter preaching in the power of the Spirit. You've got the apostles doing signs and wonders. You've got thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people becoming followers of the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this seems pretty good. And you might be tempted up front to say, you know, it's almost too good. It sounds too good to be true. I mean, isn't Luke going to tell us about some of the problems they ran into? Because you can't get thousands of people together and not run into problems. Amen? Amen. Like any time you get people together, there's going to be issues. And it's too, the story's too good. And as we move on into the story, we get into chapter 4 and we begin to see like there is some pressure happening here. It's not all baptisms and conversions and glory and signs and wonders. There's some, there's some pressure. There's some power players. They don't want Peter and the other apostles preaching too enthusiastically or at all. And as we move into chapter 5, we find that there is, like, there's some issues inside. There's some lack of integrity inside the life of the church. And on the outside, there's more pressure. And that pressure is mounting. And that, that even violence and opposition is growing. And we begin to see that Luke is not whitewashing the scene for us. He wants us to see what the apostles really dealt with and what it looked like. And he wants the life of the church to be shaped by that reality. And as we begin to see what it looks like for the earliest Christians, I mean, we're talking weeks after Jesus was raised from the dead here, a number, a matter of weeks. What does it look like to be faithful in any circumstance in this new movement that doesn't have a lot of credibility and doesn't have institutions and, and is just kind of jointly funded? And how is this going to work out? What does it look like? What does faithfulness look like in this context? That's the question Luke has for us. And he's going to hold up faithfulness alongside other options comfort, privilege, popularity, peace. He's going to hold those two side by side because he wants Christians, whether it's first century Christians or 21st century Christians, to begin to discover that faithfulness is more important than popularity. Faithfulness to Jesus, faithfulness to the kingdom is more important than popularity or comfort or anything else. Faithfulness is the driving factor for the early church. Now this shows up in a couple of different ways, doesn't it? We get a glimpse of kind of the inner workings of the church with this wild story about Ananias and Sapphira meeting their untimely end. We'll get to that in just a second. And then we get another big chunk where they get some pressure from the outside, like they get thrown in a public prison, and we've got to figure out what's going on and deal with that. So, what's happening here? Well, initially, we discover that the church has got some people who don't have their eyes all the way on Jesus. Can we put it that way? So Here's the situation. We need a little bit of context. We got Ananias. We got Sapphira. Just before the beginning of chapter 5, at the end of Acts chapter 4, we read about how the believers have been, have been taking care of one, each other, one another. They've been bringing their possessions. They've been, they've been trying to help each other out. I want to be real clear here. Sometimes people go to Acts and say, we should have some sort of like socialistic structure of the government because Acts has people sharing their stuff. What you have here is not a government-imposed system of communal sharing, you have Christians who love each other and are taking care of each other. All right. So we don't want to push it too far. There's no like political agenda here, but what we do have is Christians who are saying, you know what, I've got something I can help you out. And we're all pretty poor and we can kind of put our resources together and make sure the widows are taken care of and the poor get fed. That's going to get even more structured in the next chapter. Because there's a lot of folks that are joining the movement, and there's a lot of people that need to be taken care of, so they're going to have to pick some specific people to delegate and oversee those care ministries to. But that's kind of the issue, right? We've got this grassroots, let's get together and make sure the people who are part of this covenant family, the body of Christ, participants in the Spirit, let's make sure we're all taken care of. So you've got a general commitment amongst the early Christians to put their resources together and meet each other's needs. Then you've got that standing in contrast with this couple Ananias and Sapphira. And we might be thinking, wow, this is nuts. Like, like, does God really just strike them dead because they didn't pay their tithe? Is that what's going on here? And you're thinking, man, I guess I better like, the baskets are in the back. You can drop it in on the way out. That's fine. But that's not what's happening here, is it, right? The question here is really more a matter of integrity and single focus, right? What's happening here? What happens? How's the story go? So they've got this piece of land, and they sell it. And they could have just come along and said, hey, you know, we sell it for, sold it, I don't, we don't get any numbers, $1,000. We sold a piece of land, $1,000. Land probably costs more than that, but you just take, take the illustration. Let's tell Peter, we only made 500 We can keep some of the profit for ourselves, and the apostles will think we're really swell people. right? They've got this double-minded focus. They want the praise of the apostles. Look how generous Ananias and Sapphira are. Look how much they give. Look Look how committed they are to the movement. And we can kind of pocket the extra on the side. They want to be popular. They want the praise of the community. And they also want to pad their own pockets. They could have just told the truth. We're only going to give you half of it. There's no rules about who gives how much or a portion of it. But instead, they were driven by their desire to be seen well in the eyes of the community. They took their eyes off Jesus and put their eyes on their own desires and comfort and preferences and popularity. And that introduces a dynamic in the community that becomes a threat to the gospel and the kingdom. Right? Because if the church is not all in eyes on Jesus, right? If our hearts are divided. And if the life of the church is not marked by integrity, then our witness undermines let me put it this way: Our lives undermine our witness to the gospel. You've heard, you've heard, uh, you've heard of people, or you've met people who, you know, maybe go to church sometimes, but then you see how they live, and it's not a—they don't live a life that commends the gospel. And you think, well, I don't want to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites. Like I know those people, and so we get this this point, and Peter's emphasis. I mean, the the the, the the text emphasizes this point, right, that the church has to be marked by consistency. Like, believers need to live lives that commend the gospel. And that's the question for us as we come away from this text. Am I driven by a desire for sort of favor in certain circles or a certain reputation in other circles or, or, or some other motivation Or am I driven by desire to live in a way that commends the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? And if I am driven in a way that commends the gospel, to to behave in a way that commends the gospel, and if all of us are driven to live in a way that commends the gospel, what do you think that'll do for our witness? Like if we actually are the kind of people who make sacrifices for others, what if we are the kind of people? who stop in the rain to help somebody find shelter? What if we are the kind of people whose common life is marked by generosity? What if we are the kind of people who show up and serve? Even if we don't have time this week. Or maybe we need to cancel that that other thing so that we can offer ourselves to the kingdom, the way of the kingdom more effectively. The question for all of us is, what does faithfulness look like here? And do our lives embody the gospel that we preach? We want to talk about the perfect love of Jesus. We want to talk about how He meets us and cares for us. How He sacrificed Himself for us. How He died for us. How He offered His life in exchange for ours. But if we're unwilling to offer our life for others, does our witness commend the gospel we preach? And it's easier just to kind of go through the motions sometimes, isn't it? Even for preachers. <laughs> it's easier just to kind of go through the motions and do the status quo and kind of do what people expect and don't make any enemies and just kind of do the do do the stuff you normally do. Or can we step into the place where our witness commends the kingdom? And Luke wants us to see that nothing's going to stand in the way of the advance of the kingdom. That doesn't mean God's just striking people dead all over the place. That's not the point. But the gospel will not be thwarted. The kingdom will not be hindered. Whether the difficulties and opposition and challenges come from inside the body, and you know that can happen. Churches face difficulties. Churches face challenges. Churches have to work through conflict. That's just part of life. The question is, can we work through it and get to the place where we are consistently embodying the gospel for the sake of the mission of the kingdom? And everybody may not like that. That doesn't mean we don't do it. Because faithfulness is more important than popularity or comfort or profit or anything. So the passage moves on, and the apostles are doing signs and wonders, and people are showing up. I mean, you can imagine what this is like. All of a sudden, there's this whole new movement. We'd heard of people doing things before, but now there's real power here. People are being, can we just get this? person in the street so when Peter walks by his shadow will fall on them, and they'll be good. Like God is at work here. And you can imagine how God being at work through ordinary people can provoke some opposition and frustration from power player people because that's exactly what happens. So Peter and the other apostles are gaining popularity because of the ministry that they're doing to care for people. And then we're told in verse 17, the high priest had had enough. He took action. He'd already warned them back in chapter four stop making a, you know, stop disrupting status quo. Stop making a disruption. Don't preach about Jesus. He's dead. He's crucified. Don't try to rile the people up and get them to blame us for that. Just be quiet and go home. And their response in action. Is the same thing they say later on in chapter five. We must obey God rather than any other human being, any human authority. And so the high priest says, Well, I got a solution for that. It's called a prison, and you're going there. And remember, all of Acts is about Jesus reigning over from heaven over earth. Again, I'm gonna, we're just going to kind of rehearse this again and again. The ascension of Jesus is not Jesus going off to the sweet by and by just to chill out for a couple thousand years till he's ready to come back and take everybody home. That's not what that's about, is it? In Acts, heaven where Jesus reigns is mission control for the kingdom of God. Jesus is sitting on his throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty as we confessed together just a few minutes ago overseeing the mission of his church right now. And it's been that way since he ascended at the beginning of Acts. So the high priest has a solution for this gospel-preaching apostle named Peter and his cohort. He's going to throw him in prison, but the king of the cosmos has a solution for the high priest, and it's called the angel of the Lord. So what does he do? The angel of the Lord shows up, the messenger of Jesus. And who is the Lord? Jesus is the Lord. And where is he? He is enthroned in heaven. And what is he doing? He is bringing the nations to his footstool, as the Psalms tell us. And so, when this particular nation resists the announcement of his kingdom, what does he do? He meets the opposition and overcomes it. Because again, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will not be thwarted. Whether it's inside, internal division, or external persecution. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will not be thwarted. And Jesus is looking for people who care more about faithfulness and more about the Gospel than anything else. Peter and the others could have had an easy time of it. All they had to do was keep their mouth shut. They could have played to the popularity of the high priest. Hey man, we'll be on your team. We'll take it easy. We'll back off a little bit. We just want to, we don't want to, we don't want trouble. But they've got to obey God rather than any human authority. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns over every human authority, has given them a mission to bear witness to the gospel and his kingdom, to his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And that's exactly what they do, isn't it? That is exactly what they do what they do. I don't know if you noticed this, but like if you just read through the first few chapters of Acts, it is gospel-saturated. Like here they are. They've just been locked up. They're being threatened. Who knows what's about to happen? And Peter comes out and just starts talking. We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging on a tree. That's gospel the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's gospel. He's right there in the most dangerous place he could possibly be with people who would just as soon see him imprisoned or dead. And what does he do? Gospel. I wonder what it would look like if our shared life looked like that, where we just ooze gospel. We're just saturated gospel. Like every time you turn around, somebody from Hope Hall United Methodist Church is talking about how Jesus loved us and gave Himself for us. And how God raised Him from the dead and exalted Him to the throne of heaven. And now He rules over all things and He calls us to go to our neighbors and the nations to preach His perfect love with faithfulness. Like their message was not popular, was it? It got them locked up. But they chose faithfulness over popularity. And Jesus filled the world with his disciples as a consequence. Jesus filled the world with his disciples as a consequence. They could have stayed in the good graces of the power players. But they would prefer to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, just like with Ananias and Sapphira, the question comes to us, what does faithfulness look like? Students, you're going to go to school tomorrow, and you're probably going to have to pick faithfulness to Jesus or popularity with my friends or people who say they're my friends. I've been out of school a long time, but I'm pretty sure this is probably still the same. It was this way when I was there. (laughs) I'm guessing it's probably worse now. But you're going to have to pick. Am I going to jump in on the crowd when we pick on the new kid? Or am I going to be firm and am I going to do the hard thing and be faithful to Jesus and live a life that commends the gospel? You're going to have to make that choice and it's going to be hard. We spent a lot of time last week as you know, I was on the ski trip. I didn't do much skiing. Uh, apparently, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not good at that, apparently. And uh, we spent some time in our devotional talking about how, you know, at least for me, some of these guys skiing didn't look very hard, but it was hard for me, and I failed miserably. Uh, but we talked about doing hard things and easy things, didn't we, guys? And we talked about how, like, sin is usually the easy thing to do. And honoring Jesus is usually the hard thing to do. And so we kind of put that beside the black diamonds. And we said, you know, skiing a black diamond's hard. But don't tell me you can do something hard even if you can ski a black diamond. or a tri- tri- Are there triple black diamonds? I don't know. It sounds horrifying, doesn't it, Jonathan? <laughs> Some of us came limping home. Let's just put it that way. So, Like, don't tell me you can, I don't care if you can ski the steepest slope with the most trees and the most difficult obstacles. I don't care. Don't tell me you can do something hard until you can choose faithfulness when your popularity is on the line. Don't tell me you can do something hard until you can choose Jesus when your comfort is on the line. So what does that look like for us? I mean, this is, this is age-inclusive. Children, adults, all of us. Some of you are going to go to work tomorrow, and someone is going to ask you to do something that, under, that, that stands against your integrity. And you're going to have to pick, Do you want my boss to like me? Or do I want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with my whole heart? We come to Luke and what he tells us in Acts. He wants us to go away from these texts remembering that faithfulness matters more than any kind of popularity or comfort or any alternative. It shapes itself up. It works its way out in different ways in different parts of our lives, doesn't it? Like, this is not going to look the same for everyone. Sometimes the temptation is one thing for one person, something else for another person. But the principle that runs underneath is the same regardless, isn't it? What does faithfulness look like right now? What does faithfulness look like in this moment? How do I keep my covenant with my children and my church and my God in this moment where I'm being pressured to do something else? And Luke wants us to know that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us can strengthen us for that moment. That's the good news, friends. This doesn't happen. The apostles don't stand up to the high priest because they're tough guys. They don't stand up to the high priests because they got resources. They, they aren't going toe-to-toe with the most powerful man in Jerusalem because they know the right people or something. <laughs> they do it because the Holy Spirit has empowered them to preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit has empowered you to be faithful and to live a life that commends the gospel. We don't do this on our own. It would be an impossible task. Thoroughly, we, we are we, we, on our own. We are thoroughly incapable of living a life that commends the good news. But Acts is about how Jesus sends His Spirit to enable His people to bear witness, even when it hurts. And did you hear what they said at the end of Acts five? They left the council. I bet, I'm, like, how many of us have ever, how many of us have ever said anything even remotely like this? And they left the council. The apostles left the council, and they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor. Like, when was the last time I was like, man, I just suffered dishonor, and I'm really stoked about it. Like, that, that, that doesn't happen much for us, does it? I just got dragged into the courts and run over the coals, and people with a lot of power and keys to the prison want me to live in a different way. Yeah! <laughs> Like, that's atypical for us. It runs against everything. But what's happened is Jesus has taken the world and turned it upside down. No better. Jesus has taken the world and turned it right side up. Jesus defines what worth is. And Jesus defines where the worthy life is. And that doesn't mean we go looking like, for some sort of self-martyrdom suffering. But it does mean when we have to pick faithfulness to Jesus, or opposition from whoever, we pick Jesus. And if we suffer the way he suffered, then that just means we're more like Jesus. Thanks be to God. The question is always, what does faithfulness look like for me right now? And here's the thing, friends. Again, this runs through Acts. If you are faithful, if we are faithful, when it's hard. Jesus, who reigns from heaven over earth, will do extraordinary things for his kingdom through us. And you may say, I'm like, I'm nobody special. You may think you're somebody special. If you do, this part of the sermon is not for you. You may think, I'm nobody's, like, I'm, I'm ordinary. I have no particular gifts. I can't, like, we, we we maybe you're one of the people we've called up and said, hey, would you help us out with this thing? You say, I'm not gifted for that. I don't have what it takes. I don't, I don't, like, that happens, and we feel that. We feel inadequate, you know, and we've got pastors and staff, and they've, they've been to seminary, and they've been to school, and they've been trained, and they have experience, and, like, they're the professionals, and it's, like, we don't have what it takes, and we feel that way, and that's not how the kingdom of God works. You remember back in chapter 4, the priests and the other power player guys are saying, Look at these untrained, illiterate, low, like poor, like they don't have what it takes. They're ordinary or less than ordinary, they have no special gifts. They're day laborers. And Jesus takes them, gives them his Holy Spirit, and uses them to save the world. This is the way of the kingdom. When the kingdom faces opposition, Jesus takes normal people, ordinary people, and he brings them together and he fills them with his spirit and he enables them to love faithfulness even in the face of opposition. And he fills the world with the beauty of his perfect love through them. Jesus uses ordinary people to do stunningly extraordinary He uses average people to fill the world with the gospel of his unfailing love. My question for you is whether you want to be a part of that or not. Do we want to be the kind of people who live into that faithfulness? What does faithfulness look like for us individually and as a church in this season? What does faithfulness look like for us right now? You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumcorg slash sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.